2: Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
0: If you have a family relying on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. That's where Policy Genius comes in. In minutes, Policy Genius could save you 50% or more simply by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. To save on life insurance and get protection for you and your family, head to policygenius.com today. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package, but that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated, and right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone.
3: All right. It's another film study. We're going to take one more episode to look back at this divisional loss. Ken McCusick, how are you doing?
4: Nice, good, Josh. I'm, I'm just getting back to that right now. Kind of <laughs> been through this cathartic process with the, the analysis, and hopefully this will, uh, you know, this it'll never be forgotten, but hopefully it'll sting a little less for the next year.
3: Yeah, you've got that little delay since you've been watching the game so much. A lot of us kind of stopped after we watched on Saturday. You've watched it way too many times for that type of game. And also join us tonight. Sarah is back, Sarah. How you doing? Uh,
5: I'm hey, I'm blessed, but I'm still stinging myself over here. It, this, this is this one stings for sure. Super, super high expectations. I mean, all playoff losses sting, but everyone, every one of them stings for a different reason. This one stings because it was just the perfect position, number one seed. This was a Super Bowl team. And to go out like that—that's—it's that, a tough one.
4: Were you there for the '06 loss? Yes. Okay.
5: That one—that one was brutal too. Um, yeah, it's always the most recent that hurts the most, though.
4: <laughs> right, I, I would agree with that. That '06 one's going to stick with me for for the rest of my life. Uh, you, know, you know, Herb Brooks said that to the U.S. hockey team, after they'd beaten the Russians and they were in danger of losing to Norway in the final, which would have cost them the the, the gold medal. You know, he told them, you know, if you if you lose this game to Norway, you'll take it to your freaking grave kind of thing. And, <laughs> yeah. and fortunately, they came back and won in the third period again. People people remember the Russian game. They don't really remember that game very much. Yeah. All righty. So let's go ahead and talk about this one. You, you and I talked a little bit about this in a few minutes leading up to the show here, but... There's a lot of chatter going on on Twitter today about play selection, and I think we're in agreement that that was actually a pretty low impact component of what went wrong in this loss.
5: Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, I could. I mean, I kind of ranked ranked it. If you want, if you want me to give my my rankings, <laughs> please do. Uh, r- run pass didn't even really hit my top five. And, and I'll get into that more. I, I first want to say that when I originally turned off my TV Saturday night slash Sunday morning, I believed that Greg Roman uh, had a poor game uh, because I felt like he had um, abandoned the Ravens' identity for all year. And he did. However, when I went back and studied for this show, I... I I switched it and and believed that he justifiably abandoned the run Mm -hmm. in specific situations. We'll get into that more. So that's four down on the list. If I were going to rank the reasons why the Ravens lost, uh, I kind of have a 1A, 1B. But number one, I put losing in the trenches, which we'll get into that more. Because I think because they lost the trenches, it hurt the rushing game. It hurt protection. It contributed to the turnovers. And it let... um, Henry run wild on defense. So they lost the trenches on both sides of the ball. Now, I, then I put the turnovers. I would put turnovers number one, but I think that the trenches contributed to, to my second and third reasons. So trenches number one, turnovers number two, Henry Henry running wild number three, and then the drops. And then i even put rust above the play calling, which I think you can mm-hmm. even debate a little bit. So, so it was just... To me, it just wasn't—it wasn't the run-pass play selection that that hurt the Ravens. It was the turnovers in Henry, and both of those were because of the the play in the trenches.
4: Okay, and I, I understand your your comment. I think your trenches comment is a good one because it impacted both of those fourth and one plays. So my top is mm-hmm. high leverage plays, which is basically trenches and turnovers, the fourth and okay. one, and the and the turnovers. I think those are the big ones right there. You know, there's five plays in the game, and we talked about this on the defensive side that lost them the game. It's the four times they turned the ball over, twice on downs, twice on turnovers, directly before scores. That gave them fields of 45, 35, and 25 yards. And the only other player that I put in that same category as being a high-leverage play was the 45-yard touchdown pass immediately to Khalif Raymond. Is that uh, which the one was, where
5: uh, Humphrey got turned inside out?
4: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Second, it was their second score to put them up fourteen nothing, and that score was so significant for a lot of reasons we're talking about. But that totally had to change play calling for the game at that point, down fourteen nothing in a lot of ways. So uh, it was a it was a big turning point for many reasons. It was an uh oh moment. I don't have Henry anywhere um, anywhere near as high. As you do, I mean, his his play contributed to some of the field position in the game, which was enormous. But field position would be my next thing. But it wasn't the only reason for field position. A lot of what the Ravens did was drive down the field for tremendous yardage on the, on a drive chart basis and not score points. And the game it reminds me of that old Colts fans remember is Super Bowl three. That's exactly what they did against the Jets. They drove down the field. And then it's like what would go wrong inside the 20 yard line is what they would have to figure out. And they managed to score only seven points in that game. And this game, they, they had 530 yards. They had a franchise record, 92 offensive snaps, most ever in franchise history. They had 91 in an overtime game. The most they would had previously in a regulation game was 87 against Denver in 2012.
5: So the, the unfortunate part of that in, in the words of Shannon Sharp is, is they were empty calories. Yep. <laughs> you got to yep. You got to translate, translate all those yards into points. and, and it was one of the few times this season they just couldn't do that.
4: That's that's uh, indeed the case. So, do we move on from this? Do we think we've we've got similar enough lists that we talk about fourth down for a minute because that's that's on everybody's mind on Twitter?
5: Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it.
4: All right. So. There were four fourth and one plays and we're just going to go through these in order and one of the questions is did they really make the right choice or did they make the wrong choice? And there's only one case in this where I think I can make I can make the case at all that the Ravens might have made the wrong choice and that's the very first one. 4th and one at their own 45 yard line, very first play of the second quarter, they were down seven to nothing at the time and they came to the line came to the line of scrimmage on fourth and one. They had a chance there. They had a decision to make there. One, one decision, you could, one way you can look at that is we have the better team. We want this to be decided over the course of the entire game and not be, this. we do not want this game decided by a few high-leverage plays, which is something I generally say. You, you, you should be, the better team should be a little bit more conservative with these kind of decisions. Now, we know the Ravens have gone for these fourth and ones, 35, 40, 45-yard line all season long they've been going for and they've been making them on fourth and one so is was this the time to abandon it right here in a big playoff game against the Tennessee already down seven to nothing um, it's the only place I think of the four that you can justify them not going for it I still think it's the correct correct decision to do it mathematically but uh, but I think the, the argument would have been that since they're, they were a better team than Tennessee and a considerably better team than Tennessee at least that was their outlook at the time that they should have Try to extend the game and have it be decided over the course of more decisions rather than fewer.
5: Got you. Um, okay, I I hear you on that. I think that um, yeah, of the four fourth downs, it's easy to take out and say it was the it was. It's easy to say it was the right decision to go for the ones in the fourth quarter, right? Those those are easy. They're down by three scores, two scores. Uh, I mean, you got you got field goals aren't going to do it when you are in the fourth quarter with less than five minutes on the clock. So it's easy to to say those were the right decisions. So then it comes down to the two fourth and ones. Now, and I, I came on this show after the Kansas city game when the fourth down decisions bit them. And I was saying at the time it comes, these fourth down plays are, have to be broken into three things, the decision, the play call, and the execution. Uh, For me, I was okay with the decisions on all of them because, because you are perfect eight and eight on fourth and one. Okay. You're already number one in the league on on a fourth down conversion rate. That's all fourth downs at 70.8%, but you're 100% on fourth and one throughout the season. And so my thing is, is the, is those that are calling, um, with great passion saying John Harbo made the wrong decision. I think that you should have equal passion when he was eight for eight all those other times. Mm-hmm. Now may or at least if you were not if you weren't equally mad all eight of those other times, it should be the majority of those eight times that you disagreed with it. I mean you think back to Seattle the season changed the fourth
4: and two. Yep. Uh
5: the fourth and two the field goal unit was in they called the timeout and went back in and it was tied at 13. It changed the season. Okay? So you, if you can passionately say the Ravens were wrong for doing that, then okay, I'll give you that. The, then I, I appreciate the intellectual honesty then because then, then you could passionately say that these two fourth-and-ones were wrong in this one. I do get your point on the first fourth-and-one. Uh, and you weren't passionately, you know, no. you, you know, yelling against it the other time. So, so I'm, I'm fine with, with, with your logic, but from the other logic of eight for eight on fourth and one, you're giving the ball to Lamar Jackson. I'm okay with the decisions. What, what I'm, and I'm okay with the play calls too. Cause again, you're putting the ball in Lamar Jackson's hands and you're running him behind your hall of fame, uh, right guard. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with the decision. I'm okay with the play call. And again, it comes back to what I said before, the trenches. The offensive line got pushed back on both fourth and ones. That's what did it. That's what sealed it. It was the execution, not the decision.
4: Let me, let me go back to the, each of those, because I consider each of them a little bit differently from a defensive formation perspective. And I think this okay. is important. So on the first fourth and one at the 45-yard line, Tennessee had their base defense in. That, by today's standards in the NFL, is a heavy defense, but it's usually the appropriate defense to have in there on a fourth-and-one play on that part of the field. You have to defend more of the field. You can't just decide we're going to put a jumbo package out there, which would be a 4-4-3 with only one cornerback on the field and you know two safeties basically trying to play the run. Uh, you, you just really can't do that. You have more field to defend. You can't take the chance. And had Jackson had looked at that and they had played a jumbo package, I'd have have wanted them to throw there. And i have been perfectly happy with the decision to throw there had they done it. The other side of this equation is that on that first, fourth, and one, the Ravens have much more to gain from making it. Not only are they more likely to make it than almost any other team in the NFL, they have more to gain from making it because they have the high-powered offense that basically can move the ball at will up and down the field. And let's face it, for that first drive of the game, which was the only drive previous to this one, they moved the ball fairly effortlessly up the field until the ball sailed a little high, tipped off Andrew's hands into Bayard's hands, set up their first touchdown from the 35-yard line. So at this point, basically, I didn't, I wasn't certainly of the opinion, I don't think anybody really reasonably could have been, that the Ravens were a different team offensively, than they had been during the regular season you could point to mark ingram not being there and you can mm-hmm. certainly retroactively fit a narrative to what had gone on and there's a lot of that going on today a lot but if you really look at at what tennessee presented them the base defensive front is an opportunity still to run the quarterback sneak you know it's it's definitely a far better than even money chance to make it if you do make it you certainly have a pretty good outcome on your hands. But Anyway, that, that's right. I think, you know, I'm I'm still 60, 40, 65, 35 in terms of, of it was a good decision to make. it. So I think it was, but I don't think it was overwhelmingly because I think the, the reason you'd say no is that you wanted to extend the game over more total decisions than to focus it on one as it was here.
5: Okay, so so to recap real quick in, in the terms that I put it, a decision, play, call, and execution. On the decision, on the first one in the Tennessee territory, you're 60-40 on the decision, but
4: mm-hmm. you're
5: okay with the play call.
4: I'm, I am okay with the play call against the base defense. I think it was more a failure of the offensive line to get the push they needed to do on yes. that play. In fact, specifically, by the way, it was a failure on Bozeman on the pull. Bozeman pulled across that formation from left to right and did not find a block. Not only did he not find a block where he should have just jammed his shoulder into the back of another lineman or into the back of Nick Boyle, who was there, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Pushed, pushed the pile effectively, pushed the rugby scrum. But he, he also obstructed Jackson from part of his available run lane, which was really bad. And Correct.
5: No, keep
4: going. I'm just saying. I mean that that was that was a big part of them not making it. And they did also have a knife, a, a player knife, through that was number fifty four. Uh, he's a good good rookie or first round draft pick from last year. Linebacker Rashawn Evans. Uh, okay. So you know he's he's the uh, you know he, he got into the backfield, which was bad. Bozeman didn't make a block, which was bad. It was the only pull any Ravens lineman missed the entire night came at the worst possible time so it's an execution thing more than anything else on that play i agree with you
5: okay and then the second one the second fourth and one where they're at the 19 you're even more in favor of the decision correct
4: tremendously in favor of the decision and there is a choice to be made because that time they came to the line of scrimmage they saw a jumbo package was set up so effectively tennessee had completely sold out on the ability to stop that run and win the game right there they brought 10 in the box. The Ravens had yeah. 22 personnel, 22 or 30 or, or 13, one or the other, but they had they had only one guy outside of the formation, and that was uh, whoever it was. It was on the right side, and he was covered by one cornerback, but they otherwise had 10 guys in the box. That's a, that's a very difficult formation against which to move the ball a yard. So while I agree with the decision, I think they needed to switch out of the – under center formation in that play okay. and take that snap and shotgun and at least force the Titans to think about the risk of a pass and possibly just have gone ahead and thrown one and and put their okay. season on the line on a pass there that might have scored on that play.
5: So you like the decision. The play called not as much because there was 10 in the box. Uh, and I was going to say, that's the one play, and you don't see this from Marshall Yonda a lot. Marshall Yonda got pushed way back on that second one. And and it just it gave nowhere for for Lamar to go, um, and so maybe he got pushed back because there were so many people there <laughs> pushing him. So maybe that was the play more on the play call than than the execution on that one. Uh, nonetheless, I'm I'm fine with both the decisions.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm still a 100- hundred. That it's the right decision to go there. It's just a question of how you try and get it. And I'm okay with Lamar trying to outrun the defense. Will they stick ten mm-hmm. right in the box like that? Go ahead, and try and outrun the defense. That's mm-hmm. you know, at least you know back up and loosen them up. That's another possibility. But then it doesn't give you the the sneak option. So you're 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 in a different position there. It's it's you know it's a tough situation because Tennessee was willing to sell out on that play, and immediately you're in an all-in hand of poker. And you know, p- poker. They always say is is hours of boredom and minutes or uh, se- minutes or seconds of terror while you're you're waiting for these all hand in hands to resolve themselves. And that's exactly what we had there uh, on that play. So maybe
5: maybe it would have it would have been better. The whole uh, Joe Flacco was a certain one to Anquan Bolden.
4: Yes. In yes. the Super Bowl, yes. And then,
5: so he threw it. He went for it. He saw that the the box was loaded. And he threw it. So maybe, maybe that would have been a better a better option when they're all selling out.
4: That's a great analogy. Absolutely great analogy. And they, they you know, Sims was watching that game in real time and saying, you know, he's he's checking to a pass. I can't believe this. and, yeah. and uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Uh, all right, let's get so I think you covered it already, but the fourth and five, the fourth and eleven are down to no choice situations. They were down sixteen, I believe, on fourth and five with four thirty-one to go. So it was really the entire game was on the line there anyway. Had ample yeah. time and space to throw that ball. A shame that it didn't get completed. And then the fourth and eleven, I, I'm ashamed to admit, not not completely, that we'd already left the stadium at that point. Um frustrated at the play of four thirty one, thinking there's no way they would even get another chance with the football with any meaningful amount of time left, Uh, but, uh, but anyway, it was what it was.
5: Yeah. You gotta, you gotta get home and start, start breaking down film. You can leave.
4: (laughs) There you go. All right. So another thing has been coming up today and we want to talk about this is there's a lot of criticism of run pass division and play calling against the Titans in this game. And you know the Titans obviously did really stick with what worked against the Patriots almost in the exact formula in terms of the amount of running and the amount of passing they did. And they were very successful passing the ball with three touchdowns despite a not great completion percentage, not great yards per throw com- percentage. But, hey, it's three touchdowns on 16 dropbacks. You can't argue with that. And uh, they really got it done. But, but the Ravens, on the other hand, there's a, there are a lot of questions. A lot of people think they abandoned the run in this game.
5: Okay. I've got a whole breakdown. I spent most of my day on this. Um, So if you'll let me, let me break it down a little bit. The answer to your first question, did the Ravens abandon the run? The answer is yes. Okay. But the more important question to me was, was, is, was it justifiably abandoned? Okay. So what I did is, is, you know, people were sending me numbers on Twitter all day. They were breaking it down by quarter and this and that. And like, I mean it's nice to have those numbers, but at the end of the day, they don't mean anything without context. Mm-hmm. And so what I did is is I went into each quarter to look at it. And and so easily the first quarter, to me, it was very it was a very balanced attack. The first quarter it was five drop dropbacks, seven designed runs. So I'm not talking about the scrambles there, the seven designed runs. The second quarter to me, and again, I walked away from the game thinking it was it was you know, I, I was up. I was a little bit upset with Roman, and then going back and looking at it, I, I think he was right. In the second quarter, they were balanced until that two-minute drive. It was two minutes mm-hmm. and thirty-two seconds. Okay, before that two-minute drive, it was nine dropbacks to six designed runs. Okay, so it's a few more dropbacks. You could probably find one or two that you could have been like, okay, you should have run it there. Um, but you have to remember, like that second drive is when they had that bad drop pass to Seth Roberts mm-hmm. on first and ten. So maybe maybe you could have run it on second and 10, but you really can't be like, well, that was bad play calling. You're second and 10, mm-hmm. third and 10. You kind of have to throw it. So to me, nine dropbacks to six is fine. And so then it was, wasn't until the Ravens got the ball at their own five-yard line. They got to go 95 yards in two minutes, 32 seconds. Of course, you're going you have to, to, pass. to pass it. <laughs> you have to pass. So that really skews the numbers. All of a sudden, that's 12 dropbacks in mm-hmm. one two-minute drive, you know? Right. So got, I got real no issues, maybe one or two plays that he could have called a run, but really no big issues. You go to the third third quarter. Again, the Ravens, when it first starts, they're really only down by one score, mm-hmm. okay? So um, when they're down 14 to six, again, it's pretty balanced, maybe a little bit skewed to, to, to passes, but it's eight dropbacks to five runs, okay? But as you're watching, that is is eight – Crazy to have to five, but the Ravens were really moving the ball. It wasn't until they had two straight runs that the that the drive stalled out. Mm-hmm. It was the Gus Edwards run, and it was Lamar on the fourth, the fourth down that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's the run that stalled the drive. Eight to five, pretty balanced in my book. So, but suddenly the Ravens go down twenty-one six and twenty-eight six. So when they're down. Essentially three scores. It's eight dropbacks to one. You're down three scores. What else are you gonna do?
4: No kidding. <laughs>
5: so so you gotta you gotta throw it. And then the fourth quarter, they start out three scores down. You have to 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 throw. So it was twenty-seven dropbacks to two. So it's easy to look at the dropbacks versus the runs at the box score at the end of the game. And, and you can be upset. And I get it. I, a lot of people were like, okay, well then, because I put that on Twitter today. So they're like, fine, okay, I get it. There's the situations. But why didn't you have Mark and Gus run more? Well, that's not totally up to Roman. Mm-hmm. I looked at it again. This is by my count. I could be wrong. But by my count, he called 21 desired rushes. And Lamar, on half of them, he, he gets the final choice of whether he keeps it or hands it to Ingram or Gus. It's not Roman who makes mm-hmm. that call. And we've... Praised Lamar all year for having excellent vision and making mm-hmm. those appropriate choices, and he ran a lot of yards. So on about half of those designed rushes, Lamar chose to keep it himself. That's not on Roman, right? You know it's, what I mean? So not, it, Lamar, Lamar is a part of that decision making too. So I really, after I, it's so funny. I mean, I really went from being upset to being like, you know what, Roman was right on.
4: The, there's there's so much that goes into this that's not the Ravens' choice on this. The, wh- one of the things right. is wh- what package the uh, Titans show. So the, if the if the, basically the Titans want to use a four-man pass rush consistently against the Ravens, they're basically daring them to throw the ball. Well, in this game, Dean Pease called, and I know I've got it here in here, he had 11 times he used a three-man rush. Where is this? It Find this for me if you can see it in my notes. I know I put it in here. Anyway, eleven times he used a three-man rush, and six times he used a five-man rush, and there it is—forty-five times he used a four-man rush. So they averaged fewer than four rushes per dropback, fewer than four rushes mm. per I think about the Ravens and what they've done this year. Like, in the, they were in this game—they they rushed five plus fourteen of sixteen times. Okay, and and yeah, you know, he's basically was able to get some pressure. By, by rushing four, and they played a very loose and effective zone, it was actually pretty effective at slowing down Lamar as a runner because it kept eyes on the football. It did create some opportunities in the passing game, and Lamar took advantage of some of those. And also, because of some of the lengthy pockets it created, not every time, but when it did create a pocket, it was usually a lengthy pocket. That gave Lamar some good escapability uh, with only four men. You just can't control rush lanes for forever.
5: Well, it's interesting cuz what you're saying could easily be used as ammunition to say that see, if you make Lamar throw, the Ravens can't win.
4: <laughs>
1: right?
5: Because because you're you're what would you say fewer than 4 on, on fewer than 4 11 majority times. of them? Okay. So that could be okay, well Lamar, but Lamar had the, the the passing yards. He was it was again. It goes back to those high leverage plays that you were talking about. That that it's it was the, the turnovers, um, and and Lamar really one. only one of the interceptions was really on Lamar. Um, the other one was the tipped off of off of Andrews, and you could argue that Andrews you know should have had that. Maybe if he didn't have the bum ankle, he could have elevated and, and gotten that. The wind had had wind. you know some yeah. to do with that.
4: It has to be mentioned.
5: Yes, the wind has to. Yeah, and you were there, so. You can you can speak to that better than I
4: could. Let me let me do that for just a second, because people who I don't think they made much noise about this on TV. And I'm fast forwarding through a lot of their commentary. So I don't hear it necessarily when I'm when I'm playing it. But I don't remember them saying a lot about the wind on TV. That wind I don't
5: I don't either.
4: That wind was big time. I mean, it was blowing around that stadium. In fact, Maureen is sitting there and said, you know, get to the line of scrimmage, run a play while this wind has died down for a second here. You know, get to the line <laughs> of scrimmage, make this kick quickly. This is the, this is the chance. Uh, but, you know, they, they had they had brief respites from a very strong wind there, and it was affecting Lamar's throwing motion. I mean, he was, he's throwing a very heavy, over-the-top ball on most of his throws in this game, which is just that, it, you know, it dominoed through. Various impacts on this game. So anyway, I I, I don't want to overstate it. Lamar didn't have a good passing game, but a lot of that is wind, and 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 some of it is also you know other things that went wrong, like the tip pass off Andrews, which was also dropped, wind, but
5: The drop the drops, passes. Dropped. Oh my gosh, the one that killed me the most was to Hurst. I mean, it hit him right in his chest. He just didn't. Yeah. He just didn't even see it coming. But but anyway, my point is is that. Um, I'm st- to, 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 to what I was saying to you is you could, it could easily say, see, Lamar can't throw to win. And I still am not, it wouldn't be buying that if, if, if somebody else tried that, that same, um, strategy to make him throw to win, um, my goodness, it's just, it was just one of those games where just, it was just turnover after turnover in those fourth downs where it was running. Um, I mean, Lamar was moving the ball. He was mm-hmm. taking what Pease gave him, and then it just it, at the end it couldn't convert with the with the turnovers and and the fourth down conversions.
4: Right, I, I agree. I mean, I think that the usable amount of field was greatly reduced by the wind, which meant that you had the seven players dropping back or covering a much large, much smaller patch of turf. So if you can get some effective pressure, some decent pressure, force him to make throws out of that, you're going to have above average success, and they did said so it's not really a shocker. I wouldn't project this into any kind of a full season situation, The the game that was really similar was the Buffalo game in terms of having high wind and not mm-hmm. really good results as well. They punted seven times in that game. Uh, I just, I, I, I don't think this projects to Lamar will never be good again kind of things or he's not a passer or blah, blah, blah. Right.
5: Right. Because uh, right. Just... Let, let's not forget that Tannehill only threw 14 times. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and they definitely had field position that, that that Lamar did not have.
4: So, the the injury to Nick Boyle was another reason. Now, uh, it was the first drive of Q3. Maybe it might have affected a, a couple of runs. Additionally, they would have been down by 15. Maybe they would have been running on that very next drive, where of course they fumbled on the very first play and went down 28-6. Uh, but they but they did. At that point in the game, still have a little bit of an opportunity to run, but there's only one play. There's only one play on that next drive before they're down 22 points. And, you know, that was a sack fumble and lights went out. Well, I don't know if mm-hmm. the lights went out, but, but the passes went on at that point exclusively.
5: And yeah. so you feel like the, the Boyle injury may have impacted how, how many times they ran?
4: I, I it, there wasn't a lot of opportunity because there's a little bit left on that drive when the injury occurred, and then there was there was the one play on the extra, so it wasn't like there was a lot. But it, if they wanted to run at that point, they would have been in, additionally disincented to do so by the fact that Boyle was hurt. Okay. And you said the other thing is you know the amount of time Justice Hill got in the game. Obviously, he, Hill is a receiver, pure and simple, in, in, in terms of a running back. Get him in space. Try and find him an opportunity, to make a play. I thought he was reasonably effective against you know this kind of a zone as a guy, guy who could find a hole. Uh, I don't think I think he's too small to be a really effective pass blocker. wasn't terrible in this game, but but in general speaking, it's not going to be what he's strong at. But uh, you know he was probably the right guy to have in there over Edwards, and it was pretty clear from the from that mixmaster or whatever Edwards was using on his on his calf there. The, <laughs> sorry, the Ingram, that he wasn't ready to go.
5: Yeah. No, and I think that's probably more um when when fans were upset that Gus Edwards didn't get the ball more. I think that's that had more to do with Ingram like he wasn't a hundred percent, so why not go with Gus who had a phenomenal game against the Steelers? Um, you make a good point about Justice Hill he was targeted five times uh in the passing game four receptions twenty six yards um yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just at the end of the day, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, the Ravens just didn't look remotely like the team that we've seen in the regular season that broke a 41-year standing rushing record, single-season record, a quarterback that breaks uh, Michael Vick's record, although he had a, more than 100 yards rushing, 143. But it's just, it just it didn't resemble it at all. At all. And I think at the end of the day it's
4: because the Titans imposed their will. Okay, so the Titans won in the trenches. And I, I think it made it easier for the Titans to win in the trenches because of the the amount of field that they had to defend. I think Buffalo is the most similar game in terms of that happening. San Francisco maybe a little bit similar as well, although they didn't win certainly in the pass rush. Uh but it was but it was you know sloppy conditions and a more difficult throwing conditions. Boy, the Ravens had a lot of that this year—much more than we typically would have in a season. Between the combination of wind and rain, Uh, we had three really nasty, rainy games at home, and two windy games. uh, You know, one in the playoffs, and then one on the road at Buffalo. So,
5: plus the Seattle was rainy too.
4: Yeah, good point. Yeah. So that's really six games. All righty, let's move on. Anything else about play calling? to talk about, have we really been to the end of the line on oh, what we what we had planned for this? I, I, I really encourage people to do exactly what you did. Exactly what you did is exactly what I would recommend somebody do. Go back through the game book. Find the plays that you think should have been runs mm-hmm. and tag those, mark them, and see how many you come up with. And I bet it's three or four or six. I was about to say the it's, same it's, it's thing. It might 20. be three. Yeah.
5: Yep, yep. Yeah
4: all right all right let's talk about offensive line scoring a little bit we do want to get to some extended questions here we did good number of extended questions this is kind of game people they have complaints they have questions they want answers and we're going to try and do what we can to share our opinions with them anyway at the end of the show so we'll go through the offensive line scoring um it was a difficult game particularly for both offensive tackles in this game and the reason is this the read option by the way two two things taken away from the off the the ravens play calling and this is why you it's very difficult to blame Roman when it's this big a part of the offense is it really takes away the read option when you're down in the score as much as they are, you know, it just, you you can't run as much and it's, you're more effective running from a scramble anyway. So you don't try the read option and, and confuse people on one of two that might have it. It's just the wind as well, you know, was was a factor that, but the other thing that's, that it takes away is play action because nobody's buying turn-your-back play action or even two-handed fake play action anymore. They're much more concerned about your receivers than they would be normally. The Tennessee linebackers in this game, incredibly vulnerable unit without Jayon Brown healthy to play action, and the Ravens never got a chance to do that after that first drive, where they didn't move the ball effectively, by the way. So, you know, that was one of the great frustrations of this game, and and, uh, and, and in terms of play-calling, it also meant that the tackles in this game had a very difficult job, meaning they had to play like normal tackles and block, pass block like normal tackles, and run block like normal tackles. And it was a difficult day for them. I mean, I Stanley um, do not believe other accountings for the number of pressures that are that have been to Stanley. I've seen absurdly low numbers. I, I counted as a total of ten individual pressure pressure events plus two quarterback hit events, plus one sack event. So 13 total pressure events on the day for Stanley. Four full, four full charges, six half charges, one and a half quarterback hits, and one sack. And he had a 61 adjusted score for the game, which barely sneaks into the D range. Uh, his worst game of the year. The only one that's close is that first game where he had two holding penalties. But uh, but this was bad. And, and he allowed a lot of compression pressure to Landry, who was on his side, they never had a need to change it and try and use Landry on on um, uh, Brown because he was so effective getting push against Ronnie Stanley.
5: Um, well, I'll make one comment about Stanley, and then I got a question for you. I hope I don't lose it. Um, by the one, the play that stands up the most to me from Stanley is the fumble for Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stanley, I, I, after a chip onto Casey, I think from Ingram, he he got chipped the inside, and then and then Stanley just kind of let him through. I, I was screaming at the screen like Lamar, just pull it and run. Um, but it was it was Stanley that let his guy come through, and then and then when he fumbled, Stanley had his hands on the ball, and he just got like out muscled in the pile for for the ball. So that that's what what stands out for me. Uh, question for you on when you made the comment that um, the tackles uh, had to block like normal tackles. One thing that's interesting that we all know is that people were so nervous about the offensive line, more on the interior, but they're off, but, and then but, but very very nervous about the offensive line. By the end, you hear these national people saying, uh, "You know, the Ravens have one of the best offensive lines in in the NFL." My question to you is. When you say it's not, they had a block like normal, do you feel like the, the offensive line benefited through Roman's disguising and all of his creativity? Like, like what what, what is it that, that made it such a normal day for them?
4: Right. We, okay, so we, we talked a little bit about this like several times the past few weeks, but I do want to go over this again because I think it's worth doing, knowing. We've talked about it when it was working well. For Brown, and he was getting it, getting all the advantages from this, and now we have to talk about what, how, why is it different? So, in a normal week with the read option in play, they're allowing one edge defender into the backfield directly, and they're saying that's Lamar's guy to beat, and that edge defender does not have to be blocked by an offensive tackle. The tackle okay. makes a relatively easy down block to, let's say, it's on the right side. For Brown to tee up Marshall Yanda's guy, so he pins the defensive tackle. So Marshall Yanda has a good hold on him. He may even push him push him off his pins a little bit to the point where where Marshall Yanda can get a pancake on him. Yanda was always really good at that, by the way, when he when he peeled off into level two. But then Brown has still another block to make on the, on that typical play where he moves up half a level and has to has to then stop or impede a scraping linebacker coming along the line of scrimmage who is. Going to try and make his way out to where Lamar is running the ball to the right. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, the, the it makes it much easier for him. You take out the best run defender off that side without a block at all, and then you ignore him with your. If you have a diamond formation in or the the the, the three in the backfield, we've been seeing for a while, with one tight end to either side of Lamar and a, and the uh, Ingram in the pistol. You have both those guys are going going to make a block, but they're not trying to block that edge defender because it's a waste. They don't want to try. So they get out to level two, and it might be Hurst, who's speedier and a lot bigger than the guys in level two he has to block, whether that be a cornerback or a safety. So it created huge blocking advantages for the Ravens, and, and time after time they made great use of that. And Brown's responsibility in that was, was much smaller. Stanley was better uh, Stanley's a better tackle, so we're just going to start there. But he's, he's much more foot speed and much more ability to extend Jackson's runs when they went to the left. So he mm-hmm. could get out at a level two and level three and make a key block for a linebacker or a safety who might run Jackson down and extend that run by 10 yards. So mm-hmm. I thought Stanley was tremendously valuable in that thing, but he didn't have to face as much of the sort of pressure he did this time. He just faced a very good bull rusher in a game where he could afford to be not only just a bull rusher, but also a guy who could take chances and allow Lamar to escape the pocket, frankly, in this game. I don't think they had mm-hmm. as much—the Tennessee had as much at risk by that. Now, they did give up some big plays doing that, but that's that's been the advantage that the Ravens' tackles have had, is controlled rush lanes have allowed them to— Brown, in particular, to anchor very effectively against the bull rush, and the read option has allowed them to make a relatively easy down block on that defensive tackle, as opposed to a more difficult— Um, you know, kick out block or a seal on that edge defender to try and keep him in place. I mean, that that edge defender is, he makes his living on his ability to control that tackle and turn him the way he wants to, to keep the guy in the middle of, uh, keep the runner in the middle of the uh, formation. So anyway, Brown just he benefited a lot this year from that. And so I, I realized we may not have talked about that before, and I apologize to the listeners for bringing it up again, but I thought this was a game obviously where the, the you know, the other thing happened where, you know, Brown had to be more of a blocker. And, and so did Stanley in terms of that they gave up, by the way, a lot of pressures where they each were, were beaten by bull rush on the same play on opposite sides. I can't tell you how many times that happened. Well, I could, if I looked it up right here, because I've got it right in front of me, but <laughs> one, two. Three, four times, it was exactly that, where the, where they each got a minus one on the play for a shared pressure coming from the pincer movement opposite sides.
5: Gotcha. Well, I was going to say, it's like a, a bad time to pick their, the, 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 to pick pretty much, maybe for both of them, their worst games of the season. Uh, but the situation definitely played into that. And And I would say, while they had bad games, I think the future is bright with both of them. Uh, both will obviously be back. Uh, Stanley, hopefully, will be getting a long-term deal, and yeah. uh, and and they'll bounce back.
4: Yeah. I, I, by the way, I don't want to in any way put down Ronnie Stanley, who had the greatest year, arguably, by any Ravens lineman in team history. Now you can go wow. back to previous previous Yonda years. It is the highest AV ever recorded by a Raven. The PFF they have some extraordinary numbers and i mean extraordinary in terms of the fewest number of of pressures and pass rush events i've got many more i'm much tougher on proximity pressures one thing stanley's very good at is keeping himself between the pass rusher and jackson but that can often mean that he's very close and is impeding a throwing you know impeding the pocket and when that happens you know i'm i'm tough on him from a grading perspective but i still realize how great he is and and the fact that he's keeping an opposing rusher from getting his paws on jackson is a very very big deal in terms of the future of the franchise so uh you know i I don't want to say anything about uh, we don't want to move on without saying how great his year has been
5: yeah yeah for
4: sure all right let's let's go a little quicker i'm sorry but that was worth the discussion by the way i appreciate you taking us through that sarah so for, for Bozeman, uh, he actually had a pretty decent game overall. I was very disturbed by the one pull he missed, but he made four out of five, uh, made 80 out of 91 blocks overall. He had two pressures, one full plus two halves, and he scored a B. Uh, solid game. He's had a long run of Bs. Just, you know, you, you, for, for a lot of the other players, it's they picked the wrong time to have their worst game of the year. He picked his wrong time for his most costly block of the year, his most mm. costly missed block of the year.
5: Yeah, I mean, I I, w- I won't go too into it. It seems like every time you have other guests on, I mean, the the main point from from Bozeman for the year. I mean, you you know, you I think you've given him the best grade out of all your offensive linemen
4: for this game. But Yanda uh, got be no, plus.
5: Yanda got be plus. Okay, so Bozeman's right behind. What a turnaround from this guy who you yes. know just got beaten up in, in training camp, made it seem like nobody could win that job, and then look at him. Other, you know, take away that really bad pulled block. Uh, great game for him. Not great, not great game. Good game for him.
4: Yeah, and great season. I mean, he's he's yeah. he's one of the really big success stories for the for the 2019 Ravens. Is is him turning that season around. It's it's kind of like and mirrors a lot of the things that happened defensively in terms of the timing of it and, and getting it turned around just at the right time. Went into Seattle with his job very much on the line before the bye, had his best game of the year and and uh, never looked back in terms of losing that job. All right, so we heard a little bit after the game about the seriousness of Scura's injuries, and this does not sound good because the guy, MCL, PCL, ACL, and a separated, what's the, what's the word for it? The patella is dislocated.
5: Oh, there you go.
4: Okay. Yeah, so,
5: basically everything got torn up in there.
4: <laughs> yeah, and, and unfortunately, that injury is approximately what I remember the description being for Nico Siragusa's injury, and that effectively ended his career. Uh, you know he's a Ooh. he's a, a a fourth round draft pick. You know I think that the Ravens really looked at Siragusa as being a similar player to who the Ravens look at Ben Powers being in terms of a prospect they really think has much more upside than his draft round would indicate. And
5: I, I got to tell you, between uh, that injury news, which you know you know, they, they try to make it sound like maybe he'd be back, you know, by training camp or whatever, but you just never know. Between that injury, McCary's play, and whether Yonder retires this season or next offseason, to me, and I'm sure you're going to get into this in, in your off season podcast, to me, it's a close call between the number one off season priority between pass rusher and interior offensive line for me. I mean, be, you know, as good as the, the offensive line play has been. Um, I am nervous about that center position now and you've got to prepare for, for Yonda leaving. And I just, I just feel like two years in a row in the playoffs, the offensive line was beat. And, and I just feel like that is a massive priority is the interior offensive line this off season.
4: Yeah, I agree. I mean, they're very well set at tackle. Uh, we hope Ben Powers is the guy at right guard. It looks like Bozeman, you know, has done, but you know, you, we're, we're not allowing for any depth to start with. I don't think anybody is really depending on Hearst to take any backup position for very long effectively. In fact, mm-hmm. he might not even be on the team next year. Let's be, let's just be square about that. They don't have anybody else. I mean, Ainger and, and, um, Grassew won't be on the team next year. Not unless, you know, not unless it's as the last lineman. So it means wh- whoever they get is going to be either drafted or undrafted players plus somebody that maybe they sign. I don't see them going out and buying a free agent guard in the marketplace. I think it's probably going to be a draft pick if they get one. And mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, we'll we'll see how will, how high they want to go. Maybe a second round pick, a third round pick. I, I still think pass rush has to come first, but I'm with you, Sarah, it's it's one of the top um, problems to solve.
5: Yeah, you and I don't think that they need to use even if they have. I don't think they need to use a first or even a second round pick to get a quality. I mean, Yanda was a third round pick mm-hmm. um, to get a quality offensive lineman. So even though it's up there on my my priority list, that doesn't mean I think it should be a number one pick unless there's just you know a guy that you can't pass up.
4: Hey, one of the, here's the thing: they need whoever they get. They need them to be good next year. And the reason is that Lamar Jackson has a sands are in the hourglass right now on his rookie deal. They've got two years left of very cheap and maybe three at the outside if they don't have a deal already in place prior to year five, which I actually think is kind of unlikely. So mm-hmm. they've got two cheap years left out of Lamar Jackson. That time is, is the Ravens' big window. So they need, to, they need yep. to win the Super Bowl in these next two years, which means they need to get a guard who can really play next year. I think Powers is one, but I think they're, they're going to have to find another guy as well, whether it's at center or guard.
5: Well, what you just said, maybe I'm going ahead, but I saw it on your notes. You had a question of, of have we seen the last of, of Yonda? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> obviously, I have no insider information. However, I think he'll be back. And I think it's because one of the reasons is what you just said. Uh, um, the he knows how good this team is this this was a Super Bowl team that he was just on and there there's no reason to believe that next year's team wouldn't also be a Super Bowl team. um so that's number one number two, he's healthy. you know that's always been big to him if he doesn't have to like rehab you know a big knee or ankle or shoulder or whatever uh, then then you know it's easier to come back and finally he's got the year on his contract not that not that it matters anyway, but so if you wanted to come back, the Ravens would figure out the, the contract stuff. But to me, all three of those things just just uh, and he loves football. He loves it. And he's playing at a high level. So um, if I had to predict today, I would say he's going to be back.
4: How do, how do you respond to what he the, the, the commentary and the on the field pictures with his family? I mean, Jason Garrett did that in Dallas and it was obviously the end. Marshall Yonda taking pictures on the field with his family and, and, you know, going out there and also talking about the Ravens in the third person, they're a great football team. You know, they have a lot of great football. I mean, I, it's not like the indicators that you mentioned don't make sense. I mean, Marshall coming to the end of the year, are healthy, that's great. I mean, that should, that should really be a good indicator that he's, he should be back. You know, the team is, is, is ready to win again. And, and boy, it'd be wonderful if he could be part of another Super Bowl champion. But then I I look at the other side of it and and just what he said after the game and what he did after the game, it's just is not indicative of a player that's, that's thinking about coming back.
5: Yeah. I mean, I just, I guess for one with the, the, the pictures and the family, I mean, I, to me, I'm, I'm guessing Yonda and the rest of the Ravens had a pretty high expectation of playing there again in the AFC championship game. Mm -hmm. Um, and so having all that family there to me was not like, oh, the, guys, this is going to be my last game and because that could have been the AFC Championship game. And, and for the rest of it, comments directly after the game, I just find that unless somebody's definitive and even then, um, you know, these guys get into the off season, and, um, you know, they start to miss, the, you know, they don't mm-hmm. – he wouldn't miss training camp or anything, but I could see him just being like, oh, wait. Do I really just want to hang it up now? Now, I mean. So, so anyway, I hear what you're saying. It, it deserves some weight, and I could be totally wrong. I just put more weight on him being healthy and how good of a roster this is, and he oh, knows it. He knows it.
4: I, I don't think they've ever hoped that you were right about something more than I hope about that. <laughs> uh, you know, other than you think they're going to win the Super Bowl this last year, I, I wish you'd been right about that. But. Uh, but but this I, I really hope you're correct about this. It would be a big deal. Let me run through the rest of this offensive line scoring real quickly because we already mentioned Yanda got a B plus, McCary an F. Uh, he was close. He was at a high F at point seven zero adjusted, but he gave up one and a sixth sack. One was entirely him. One was a, well, I gave him one of the six points for for allowing some pocket compression. Uh, he allowed two full, two half, and one one third of a pressure. And here's the big thing that's been bothering the whole year: is he's missing a ton of blocks. Twelve more in this in this game. Twelve blocks is like a world record for a center that I've ever scored. It's also the world record for number of snaps with ninety-one scored snaps in this game. Mm. But uh, but that's a bad game for McCarry anyway. Yeah. Anyway you slice it. Yeah. Okay, Ravens. Well, it, two things about this game: one is they only made a total of eleven blocks in level two the whole game. They played this entire game largely because it was a passing game, a lot of the running was on scrambles, as you you know mentioned in your play breakdowns as well, that they really played the whole game in an unfamiliar position. They weren't moving forward trying to find blocks of smaller men in level two the way they've been doing all year. They've been they were trying to block the heavies of the line of scrimmage and that's a muddy trench warfare that's that's heavy and difficult.
5: Yeah, I mean, I I just talking about the O line as a whole. It just it's I repeat what I said before. They just didn't, they just didn't look like the bullies that we had seen all year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's that's to me just the way, the best way to I think that the Titans beat the Ravens at the Ravens game.
4: Yeah. Finish off Orlando Brown, a C in this game, and he'd been playing very well. Uh, He had not gotten too many grades. I'm not looking at the the entire sheet here, but a a C was one of his lower grades of the year. Uh, You know, honestly, it could have been worse with him. He allowed one-third of a sack, but he didn't allow a full sack like like, uh, Stanley did. He allowed one QH, two full, four half, and one one one-third pressures. Uh, He missed only three blocks out of 91, which is good, so... Uh, A C in aggregate, had three pancakes in the game. Uh, He had three of the Ravens, four pancakes. Great game, great uh, season from Orlando Brown. I think, you know, the Ravens have the tackles that they want, and they certainly have the tackles for this system uh, to do great things with Lamar Jackson. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter, I think, like you said, of trying to rebuild that interior line. Uh, Hope that Powers is the guy they hope he is, and, and, you know, maybe find another really dominant interior lineman in the draft. No doubt. How about we talk about some individual skill position players? Who you got for us? Why don't you start us off? We'll, we'll all um,
5: uh, yeah, I, I'll start with Marquise Brown. Um, I feel like, um, man, he may have been uh, – I'm trying to think. I mean, it may have been one of his best games. I mean, it's hard to beat that Miami one. Uh, but he just seemed to be like – just to be a guy that Lamar could rely on. I mean, I think with Mark Ingram – not playing at his best. Uh, who is usually Lamar's security blanket? I mean, he just kept going to Marquise Brown, play after play after play. He made the one, the one grab. Oh, I wish he could have just fallen into the end zone. He was a few yards mm-hmm. out though. Uh, the one grab, grab was just amazing. And and by the way, I am here for this. This would have been unheard of in 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 the NFL, maybe even you know a decade ago. He tackles himself all the time mm-hmm. and and i'm here for it because that guy is tiny okay he's i i mean tiny for nfl standards but i mean i stand next to him and i feel like you know even i'm you know right you know kind of the same size you can take him. <laughs> so, yeah,
4: yeah,
3: yeah.
5: so um you know I, I i'm here for that i don't need him to get hurt you catch that ball and if you can't outrun people you see three guys coming. I'm here for him uh, to, to go ahead and tackle himself or, or run out of bounds. I I feel like with Marquise um, because he's been so hampered, you know, coming off that list, Frank, and then he, you know, I think he had an ankle also. Um, I feel like he had an, a a very solid rookie season, and I think he can take the next step, uh, getting healthy this off season. And I'm just so happy to see him and Lamar. Uh, be together for for a couple more years and and maybe longer.
4: Yeah, it's it's clearly it's a very good relationship. I agree with you entirely. I mean, he looks like an eighth grader playing with uh, you know varsity players out there on the field. He's just he's he's a lot smaller than anybody else, and he just reminds you. Of his actual receiving skills, because the he, uh, honestly, the football looks too big for him most of the time. Looks too big for his arms, <laughs> and for his hands. It's like how's he gonna hold on? And the big men are gonna hit him. And then he goes out and he makes that one-handed grab like he did the other night down the right sideline as the half's running out. And you say, what the hell? You know, that guy should be playing with <laughs> yeah. a smaller football, and yet he can catch the big boy ball just you know that easily. Uh, very, very impressive receiver. Uh, Miles Boykin, you know, would be the guy I would mention next. And I've said this about five times on the show, but I'm going to say it one more time. The Ravens need to get Miles Boykin in a greater set of routes. If they can get him to cross the field, uh, he'd be a very dangerous weapon. Additionally, so this off season, Miles, if there's any way, spend time with the receiving coach, spend time learning how to run routes. That are different from the few verticals and and the back shoulder throws you're used to on the sideline, and get to the middle of the football field and do damage because he, he will be a very difficult man to stop. If you think that that AJ Brown is a difficult player that runs right through the catch and and you know is, a, is very effective in terms of yak, Miles Boykin could be every bit of that. Uh, he's much bigger physically. He's already a very dominant run blocker in this league. Mm-hmm. Uh, would be lovely to see him improve as a receiver the way Lamar did as a, as a passer this last off season.
5: Boy wouldn't man, if he could just, I mean the, I mean the promise that you, you know, we were seeing in training camp and the preseason. I mean, I mean, the tools are all there. He has, he has everything he needs. Uh, and, And just speaking of that, because Boykin and Marquise are both young and they have other young players. You know, I, I know a lot of people want to see the Ravens, um, attack the wide receiver position in the offseason, which, you know, I'm all for, for improving, but the wide receiver position to me is probably fifth on the list behind <clears throat> pass rusher, interior offensive line, inside linebacker. Um,
4: interior pass rusher.
5: Inter- there you go. Interior pass rusher, like, like behind all of that. And so um, I, there's a lot of young players already on this receiving core to me, um, you know it's a matter of both Marquise and Boykin taking the next step um, and w- you know so so I think those are keys, and then you can you can add in around that, but you to me, what I'd really like to see is just those two both take the next step.
4: yeah. I, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm really looking forward to how Boykin invests in himself. But this that goes much broader than Boykin. The last couple of guys who have invested themselves in the offseason are Ryan Jensen, who got paid four years, $42 million for it, and Lamar Jackson, who just be, became the MVP. Look at those mm-hmm. two examples and try and figure out how you want to spend your offseason. I know you got a million things to do. Right. You want to travel. You want to get away from football. You want to decompress. You want to do all that stuff. But particularly early in your career your first year second your second to your third your third or fourth year if you can't take the time to invest in yourself at this time in terms of football you know it's it, i'd have the same frustration i would with a young actuary who can't study for the actuarial exams it's just it's just this is your whole <laughs> your whole career is riding on this
5: right well and boykin seems pretty grounded down to earth he seems like the type of guy that, that would do that so hopefully he does
4: oh very good so you got another player
5: Okay, I'm I'm gonna need to get on my Lamar Jackson uh, soapbox here. <laughs> um, um, he, uh, you know, he probably had his worst game of the season Saturday night. Uh, maybe you could point to, to Pittsburgh, and that's saying something because he put up 500 and plus yards of production. Uh, he became the first player in NFL history. With 300 pass yards and 100 rush yards in a postseason game, so again, as Shannon Sharp would say, a lot of that was empty calories. It, it was it was the turnovers that 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 really um, did it all in. So so he may have had his worst game, um, and and so it's so funny to me because prior to that game, people kept insisting to me, insisting that the Lamar Jackson doubters were gone. They were gone, <laughs> and and then all what what this game showed is really they were just laying in the weeds because they couldn't say anything on his 12 game win streak where he just was out of this world. If you look back on his on his regular season, you could easily put it up there with some of the best quarterback regular seasons of all time. I'm not going to say it was the best, but when you combine him breaking the, he's the number six rusher in the league, and then also is the number one. Uh, passing touchdowns leader so you you we haven't seen that combination before so him losing this playoff game and last year's playoff game going zero and two it doesn't flush down the toilet his superb season he is still the mvp that we saw he is not a gimmick mm-hmm. this was he was this was a bad game he's not rg3 he's better than than michael vick okay He's 23 years old, and I just want to put this in perspective because he's going to be. And I don't blame people. I'm going to have the same question: Can Lamar get it done in the playoffs? That's the next question with him. There's not a lot to ask about the regular season anymore. But but Chris Long put this tweet out, and I think it 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 should it should be repeated here of of other great QBs. Breeze took until his sixth year, okay, to win his first playoff game. Peyton Manning.
1: 03. His sixth
5: year, sixth year. Kelly, sixth year. Aaron Rodgers, sixth year. John Elway, fourth year. McNair, fifth year. Cunningham, eighth year. Fouts, eighth year. Sims, sixth year. Okay. He he the, the story isn't written on him. I know that people are gonna try to put him in a box now that he he chokes in the playoffs. That that doesn't have to be his story. There's no doubt in my mind. He's going to come back and he's going to go silence those doubters again. They're just going to wait for the one or two games to come back out and call him a gimmick and say he's not sustainable, but, but he's not RG three. He's better than Michael Vick. He is a real quarterback and, and he can certainly come back and change the, the this narrative on the playoffs. And, and I'm so happy to see the Ravens completely behind him.
4: Yeah, Sorry, I, I that was my soapbox. <laughs> no, you, you did good. And, and it's, it's reasonable to say that I kind of, kind of, divide the lamar doubters into two groups and number okay. one are, are the people who uh hate him because he's the opponent and there's a lot of that i mean i want to believe that roethlisberger cannot come back and be at all an effective quarterback and yet i'm still a little okay. bit worried about it okay but mm-hmm. he's older i expect i, I, I want to project downward things. i think i want to project bad things for brady and brady you know late in his career after age 38 39 is still winning a couple Super Bowls that's a you know it's 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 not meeting my expectations I want to hate him more I finally got a chance a little bit this year to, mm-hmm. to, to do so but anyway I think there's there's haters of that type who just sure. you know, they lo- they like Pat Mahomes more than they like or they want to like Pat Mahomes more than they want to like Jackson they want a reason why Jackson's not as good as Mahomes okay fine um, it, I, I don't really have a problem with those groups. The problem I have a group with is the is the "I told you so" types who said we should yes. have drafted them. Never could change their mind about it, and now we're saying, "Well, look, see, I told you he was never yep. going to be good. He doesn't throw anything. He doesn't know how to do this. He's he's chokes under pressure. You know, blah 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 blah." blah. So anyway, those guys can go to hell. So <laughs>
5: <laughs> no, that's well said. It is that second group. It says, oh, it's the "I told you so" group. Mm-hmm. waiting for and and lamar's eventually going to get hurt like all quarterbacks he eventually yep. will i'm not saying that he's never going to get hurt but those people are going to come out and be like i told you and it's like well it's football who doesn't get hurt in football except for brandon carr <laughs> like right. it just it's football so he's going to get hurt but but it is that group it's that group that's annoyingly back and yeah, so and
4: one of the things ahead. that's true is jackson speed will never have the same impact. On the other, on the opponents as it did during this year. Even though the Ravens faced a little bit of weather and other things that hampered it, his speed will never have as much impact as it did this year. But he's going to grow in other ways that'll be better. He'll probably not quite Correct. have the greatest year passing. He will not quite be as great as running, but he's going to make up for it in ways like being a better on field general, being able to and read defenses quicker and snap to a different play call the way that Manning or Brady could. Uh, you know, after a period of time in the league and, and realizing exactly what was up, he's going to be able to quickly realign his players. He can be, be able to more quickly run the no huddle, all of the things that make some of the other great quarterbacks effective as well. He is in, in some ways. He's been to date a fairly set piece, slow action quarterback, meaning not in terms of the speed, certainly, but in terms of getting his offense aligned and and pressuring the defense in that manner. And And he's got way more growth, at least there. And when I look at a young baseball player, show me the 300 hitter who also is striking out 150 times. That's the guy I'm betting on if he's a young player because he can cut those strikeouts and he's going to get more balls in play and he's going to hit for a probably a higher average. The guy who's only got 65 strikeouts and he's hitting 300 and he's already 28, I'm not as bullish on his prospect because he's at the top of his ability right there. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of a positive still gain for Lamar. Aside from some obvious reductions, are going to be th- that will happen. Also, the side and that said, Lamar Jackson will never have as good a season as he had this year. Probably, I'd say seventy-five percent likelihood on that. I probably give three to one odds that he that he never has as good a season. But he can be just fine at eighty-five percent of the player he was this year.
5: Well, I I went and the reason why I said that I that he had one of the best quarter quarterback regular seasons ever is because I went back. And I have a spreadsheet looking at all of it. And all of those quarterback seasons, it's usually one season. Like uh, Tom Brady uh, and Aaron Rodgers, I think, each had two on my list. Outside of that, everybody had one all-time great season. You know what I mean? So I agree with you there. It's gonna. How, how can you beat what he did this year? I think what he has going for him, in addition to what you said – that people don't talk about enough at least nat- nationally is his vision and his football IQ he doesn't repeat the same mistakes and so when you have a guy like that even when he as he ages and he gets slower which will happen he'll still be fast we won't be as fast as he is now those other instincts and 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 traits the vision the 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 football IQ that's going to that's going to continue to grow by leaps and bounds Mm
4: -hmm. i I agree i think i think he'll make big strides there what what uh, coach evans says i think is one of the really wise things about the thing is when when his speed starts to drop off a little bit he'll be russell wilson because he'll be still a a, you know a very good quarterback and he'll be a better field general and he'll, he'll just won't quite be able to make the same plays with his legs that he can now and you know that's that's probably about russell wilson's level in terms of of that if he's ever suffered a really serious injury where he lost a lot of speed then, you know, it'd be another question entirely. But I think, you know, he's got five years of being a very fast, very elusive quarterback. And and part of the things that people don't realize is it's not just speed with Jackson. Jackson reads opposing leverage yes. better than anybody I've ever seen. That's what makes Completely. the read option so effectively. And RG3... Got up on the podium last year and says, "Look, I'm just as fast as him in a foot race. I could probably take him if we if we rushed 100 yards, like you know, <laughs> or 40 even. I think I could take him. But the fact of the matter is, he reads leverage on that edge defender, and and uh, he's gone. He knows exactly when to pull it down. The game slows down for him, like as if he's 100%.
5: Yeah. It's like he's the, he's in the matrix where everybody else yeah. is in just regular, you know,
4: yes. life. So. Yes." <laughs> All right, tell you what, let's, let's cut off our discussion of individual players because I think there's a big mailbag tonight. I want to spend some time on it with you, Sarah. And we've loved having you on so much this year. We want you to get your opinions on, on, these, on these questions. I know our, our fans do as well.
5: Perfect.
3: All right, let's get to the mailbag. You can use the hashtag FilmStudyMailbag. Continue during the offseason because we'll continue to keep the mailbag going. Uh, first question up, guys. How good was the Ravens O-line this year, really? I think the Lamar effect made them look good. He could avoid pressure so well, and not knowing who was running the ball put the defensive lines on ice skates.
4: Yeah, I I guess I'll take that one first, Sarah, and then please add whatever you would. I think we've talked about this some on this show. I think both offensive tackles benefited some, Brown more, from the fact that they allow the edge defender to the backfield, and they have some simplified run concepts. I think a lot of the fact of Jackson's elusiveness makes the opposing pass rush be muted and more controlled rush lanes that allow Brown in particular to use his outstanding ability to anchor versus the bull effectively. And that, I think it did reduce everybody's pressure numbers across the entire line. I I do think they were improved because of it. I also think they execute a lot of things fundamentally very well, particularly in terms of pulls and in terms of climbing to level two off double teams at the line of scrimmage. They they're very practiced in that regard and they're very good at it. So I'd still say they're one of the top offensive lines in the league they, despite the fact that they didn't have to rely on their tackles too much, they have very good tackles, and the interior linemen were, I think, coached up to quite a high level.
5: Mm, that's a good way to put it. The, the the interior was coached up. I yeah, I mean, there's no doubt anybody that plays with Lamar Jackson is going to look better than they already do. Having said that, I don't think that Lamar is going to take a squad that, that's like getting consistent F grades and making them mm-hmm. look like they have A grades. So to <laughs> me, to me, this is like. It's more like you're making a B-plus, A-minus line look like an A, A-plus line. That's how much maybe Lamar, Lamar helps them. And I think just by watching like, the difference to me between uh, McCary, who's, who played really well, I mean, he's an undrafted rookie, but mm-hmm. between him and Skura, there, there was a drop-off. So, I mean, it's not just all Lamar. I mean, no, these guys do have skill. Uh, he does make them better, but he's not changing them from Fs to A's.
3: All right. Great uh, And we only have to worry about them blocking for Lamar, not anyone else. So it doesn't really matter in e- the end. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, Steve is wondering, can it be determined whether Lamar checked off from run to pass plays on Saturday night?
4: Checked off. I See, I don't – if there was any of that, I think it would have to have been very early on. And, Sarah, you've been through the thing to really talk about where he might have checked off – from run to pass, I think it's more likely that what you said earlier about him making decisions on the pull uh, yes. was was a bigger deal.
5: Yes, I, I would agree with that. There was, unless he's doing something that that I didn't catch uh, to go from, you know, the pass to the run or vice versa, it was definitely more. Like I said, there were uh, by my count twenty one designed rushes and he pulled it and kept it himself on, um, I think about 10 of those. Um, and, and, and I think he, and he rushed for a lot of yards. So I think by, by and large, we just discussed about how excellent he is at reading the defense. Um, so, so I did, I didn't catch anything, um, with, with switching passes to runs or vice versa.
3: All right. Marcus says, do you think Lamar forces things and puts too much pressure on himself in big games that he feels like he has something to prove rather than just playing a game as normal?
5: Uh, I don't know. That's, that's funny. The first thing that I think of when, when asked that, it's like the anti Joe Flacco question because everybody's like, is, is Joe even getting up for this game? Cause he's, he's too cool. I, I don't know. I mean, you, it's it's with all quarterbacks you take to get with the bat. I mean, again, you go back to that Seattle game, and he's ticked off, and he goes to the sideline. And Harbaugh's like, oh, I can see in his eyes that he wanted to go for it on fourth down. Then he asked him, he's like, heck, yeah, coach, I want to go for it. So I don't know, people I, – I don't, I don't know. I, he definitely does want to be great. But he, he – to me, he strikes me as a very uh, grounded and balanced person to where um, – He lets bad things fuel him, but he doesn't let it 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 get him down. And that this I would say the same thing about you know good things and the praise he gets. He he doesn't let him get get it too high. I think he's just by nature a massively competitive person that always wants to win. He hates losing more than he likes to win. I don't think to me. Yeah. I don't think that this, the two, the O and two playoff losses, that this is what the person is asking, if it's just because he's putting too much pressure on himself. uh, I don't see that. I think, I think um, he, he, he stays pretty cool. He shows more fire than Joe Flacco does, but, but I don't think it's, it's, it's a problem of putting too much pressure on himself.
4: Yeah, this was a game of circumstance largely where the Ravens got behind, and it did change some of the available things. The wind changed some available things, like we mentioned a couple times before. But, you know, I I don't blame this on Jackson at all. Basically, the additional run responsibility is the only thing I would point to in the game, that, that he took more of that by taking 20 of the 29 carries that the Ravens had during the game. They only had nine from Ingram and Edwards combined. I I think if if you wanted to point something, it would be that. But I can't. I certainly can't point to the results because he averaged six point four yards a run. I think in the game, and 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 you know, it's hard for me to really blame any of this on what Lamar Jackson's decisions were.
3: All right. Do you see the Ravens addressing the need at wide receiver with bringing in a veteran
4: uh, free agent? No. I think they've been on the vet wide receiver treadmill, and I think of all the things they could try and sign, that'd be the last freaking thing I'd want to see. I do not want to see A.J. Green in particular in a Ravens uniform. I think he'd be the the worst possible decision of a player to bring into this locker room.
5: Uh, And just on the other side of that, um, as much as Lamar has done well with the passing touchdowns, there was still late... Do you remember that interview he did with Steve Smith late in the season? He's in the middle of this MVP season, and Steve Smith is like, I wouldn't want to come play with you. Um, those those type of guys, I just – listen, I think one of the best things that Ravens had going for them this year was their chemistry.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean,
5: this team loved each other. And I'm – unless it's like a Willie Steve type of guy or, or a um, Seth Roberts kind of selfless guy – I just don't want any type of, you know, as much as I love Steve Smith and he was great for Joe Flacco, I just don't think this team needs that type of attitude. This is a very selfless team, and, and you definitely want to see the, the receivers improve, but you definitely don't need that type of attitude, and there's, and there's a good chance that a veteran receiver might, might be that way.
4: You're not – I hope you're not trying to take the position that the Ravens wouldn't have been better than 14-2 and two and they wouldn't have gotten this game back if they hadn't have had Jeremy Macklin and, and Crabtree on this team because I think that would have made all the difference in terms of putting them over the top against – Oh, <laughs> yeah. my God. Veteran wide receivers, haven't we been there and done that with that group yeah. of freaking turds? Let's – let's please stop bringing those in. And, and if you could on Twitter, don't make me, you know – Raise my blood pressure is at a good level here you know I'm talking about bringing in these veteran wide receiver types yuck all right uh, did you notice <laughs> I love it, Ken. Did, did you notice
3: any adjustments after halftime
4: well they, they had a good first drive getting down the field so any adjustments offensively were there in terms of what they did that were that were good um you know they they ran the ball effectively down the field they they had a couple of good pass plays um it was mostly that 30 yard run by uh, th- that was a lot of that drive that got them close to on the fourth and one and you know sarah mentioned this they had a pass for eight and then a run for one run for zero that ended the drive after after uh, on the last two plays so i think i think they came out with an idea of what they wanted to do, but then it got cut, totally flopped, turned around on the missed fourth and one and the ensuing 66-yard run and touchdown by the Titans, which put him 15 points in the hole.
5: Yeah, I don't have much to add. I just think that the game, uh, as much as Roman tried, I just feel like the circumstances and the Titans more dictated to him what was what was going to happen.
3: All right. All um... right. Were we as good as we thought we were in week 17, or did the pieces just fall into place this season to get us the 14 wins?
5: Uh, I, yes, I think, listen, it's, see, the, this is the type of thing that, like, is, I get that the playoff game has more weight, but the Ravens won 12 straight games, and they, and they weren't doing it against, you know, the the only the Bengals or the Miamis of the world. I mean, they were beating other playoff teams. They beat Seattle. They beat the 49ers. They the 49ers are still in it. Um, they beat the Patriots. They they beat the Bills. I mean, these are all playoff teams. I just don't feel like one game can can erase all the rest. I think the Ravens were a Super Bowl team. And I think that they it was just it was just a bad, bad, bad game for so many different reasons. And I don't think that he races that I just don't see how you can say they weren't as good as we thought they were when they beat that many playoff games or playoff teams.
4: Yeah, and they didn't just beat him, they annihilated him. Here's here's the exercise. And we'll leave this for an exercise although I'm gonna give people a little information on this. Go back and look at the nineteen seventy two Dolphins. They had a perfect season. They outscared their opponents 385 to 171 for the year, and compare those scores to what happened during the, or, the during the Ravens' 12-game winning streak. But the Dolphins won games, and this is the exact order through the season, 20-10, 34-13 against the Oilers, 16-14 to against the Vikings, 27-17 against the Jets, 24-10 against the Chargers, 24-23 against the Bills, 23 nothing against the Colts, a pretty bad Colts team at that time, 30-16 to against the Bills, 52 to nothing against the Patriots, impressive win, 28-24 against the Jets, 31-10 against the Cardinals, 37-21 against New England, 23-13 against the Giants, and 16 to nothing again against the Colts in the playoffs they won their three games by 6-4 and 7 points the baltimore ravens annihilated a bunch of really good football teams this season <laughs> you know they beat the rams in la by 39 they beat both super defending super bowl champs by 17 or more they they you know they went to seattle and won by what 17 30 to 13 was it 30 to 16 whichever There's it was
5: definitely two scores. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Uh, you, you know, they beat, they beat the Texans 40, 41 to seven, just embarrass them. I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't know what more this team could have shown you in terms of they're truly a historically great team other than to beat the Titans in this game. And, you know, if, if you really want to come down to it, the season came down to about five plays on Saturday night, they go the other way. We're not having this discussion. We're having a discussion about, Are the Chiefs really good enough to beat the Ravens? Are the Ravens, what weaknesses do they have against the Chiefs? Yep.
3: All right, just a couple more. So Brad says, all season I've been most impressed with Hollywood's wide receiver savviness. He uses his body to create spaces in a way similar to Antonio Brown. Do you guys see the same thing? This gives me more optimism for his future than if he ever gains back that elite speed.
5: I already talked about Marquise, so I let you take this one, Ken.
4: Okay, so he, he the one the great point he made about making space was most evident in that Week Two catch against Arizona, where down the right sideline he pressed the corner to the inside, and then at the last moment took a kind of a diagonal route to the football on what was a very low catch probability. But he increased it with his own positioning on that play. So I see his his point there. I think he has very fine receiving skills. You can always get better and he could what he, the other thing he could do is he could just work with lamar this off season but i think more him it's more a case of just getting healthy this off season just staying in shape getting healthy more than it is about polishing any specific talent that he has whereas there's plenty of other players they need to both get into better shape and also improve their position specific football skills
5: um Marquise Brown I just feel like he could he could be he could be very good I, I love his relationship with with Lamar Jackson they appear to me Lamar gets along with everybody but he definitely appears um, like one of his closest friends is Marquise Marquise for this season um, tied a Ravens single season touchdown record he had seven touchdowns um, that was also three uh, third best among rookies this season um AJ Brown and Darius Slayton both had eight um for first tied for first place I just think that Marquise I just can't wait to see what he can do with the I I agree with you 100% if you can if we if he gets healthy um I he's going to take a big step and he already has a very solid foundation from this year
4: I want to check one thing before we get off of there, and that's that's how many snaps did Marquise Brown even play this year? Because it's a relatively limited number. Uh, I'm going to just take a quick look here. Six hundred and forty-one, according to Pro Football Focus. So that's not, you know, it's probably less than sixty percent of the Ravens' offensive snaps. Certainly would be because they had a well above average offense. Uh, it's not like he's out there every play. You know, this right. most most receivers are play a higher percentage of snaps than than that.
3: All right, let's close out the mailbag with an easy question from Alec. Now that football season's over, what are your off-season hobbies?
5: <laughs>
3: you, you go ahead go first.
5: <laughs> well, it's I, I always hate this time of year. It's like the holidays are over and then football ends, and it's like, oh, man. Um, for me, it's just my kids. I've got four kids running around um i you know i like to write i've got some writing projects going on uh but for me it's it's mostly just putting that time back in the kids these guys luckily my oldest loves football so he's right there with me on sundays but my three youngest man they hate me on sundays because i am all football (laughs) all the time so i can give more time back to them
4: are are you writing about football or do you have any other writing you do that's non-football related
5: i actually and this is it's more of a a personal one but maybe I may might let some of it go public I am writing a memoir of my 13 years at the Ravens cool um I just felt like I had miracle after miracle after miracle happen there that made my career uh keep going and uh and I I just you know I want to have that written down for my kids to read when they're older and then if anybody else is interested I, I could share that with them but uh, I just look back on that time and just feel completely blessed. The Ravens were phenomenal.
4: I'd I love to read it. I, I'll uh, I'll talk a little bit about what Maureen and I do in the offseason because Maureen is just unbelievably supportive of this project. And, you know, we don't talk enough about how much time she puts in every week to control the score sheet. Uh, just now she was having to get the dogs <laughs> volume <laughs> reduced in the background here. I don't know if you guys caught that for a second, but uh, it, but she's working on that. Uh, we like to travel a lot during the off season, and uh, uh, we we always take some some kind of really cool vacation. Last year we went to Nepal and Bhutan. Uh, this year we could just go to Costa Rica, which should be a, a nice, interesting rainforest and cloud forest kind of vacation. Lots of wildlife always included, so we'll do that. Um, we might get a new puppy this off season. That's a, a we have two Briards. Uh, our older one is is getting very old, and then uh, uh, if she passes, I'm sure we'll want to get another dog right away uh you know lots of my i continue writing about football during the off season. i have to focus a little bit on my actual consulting practice so uh you know i've got things to do i'm i'm still busy during the off season, but uh those are those are some of my hobbies
3: all right um
4: all right sarah what can
3: we plug for you? your twitter
5: yeah i'm just uh hanging out on twitter and i'll obviously still going be going strong a lot of people think that the that football news dies in the off season, but that just isn't the case. So um, I've already been getting lots of questions about the draft and free agency, and you know I haven't turned my focus there yet, but will will soon. Um, lots lots of uh, moves for the Ravens to to make in the next uh, I don't know by March, and then getting ready for the draft. So I'm SG Ellison on Twitter.
3: All right, and Ken over at uh, filmstudybaltimore.com, the offensive uh, breakdown should be up there pretty soon, right?
4: Should be up soon. It'll, it'll have the offensive line scoring from this game. So I hope people want to see that. We'll also have the charting for the year in a way that it's nice and visible. So it's we haven't been keeping up with that as well as we should be, but we're going to have a nice chart so you can look back at this. Uh, going to post those, those older years too. I know you, you posted most of them, Josh, but we have a couple that we, need, we still need to update the graphs on and get those out there. Here's the big thing I want to pitch, though. If you have something you want to talk about, Something's pissing you off, something's interesting and timely, anything about football, please hit us up. Let's do a film study short on it. I've, I turn those around very quickly if they're timely topics. We know otherwise we make a plan to do it. All you need to do is send me about three to five bullets of what you want to discuss on the thing. 15, 20 minutes, less intimidating than the kind of content we just put out tonight.
3: All right. And like everyone's been saying, uh, football news doesn't. Uh go away, so we'll be continuing this podcast throughout the off-season as well, so make sure you're going on to your uh, podcast app, reviewing it, sharing with friends, and helping us grow. All right, well, have a good evening. Any,
4: anything that the yep. listeners should do in terms of reviews, I know you wanted to mention that here. Yeah, they
3: should write reviews in their podcast app or iTunes, Where or I don't know if iTunes is still around, I think it's a podcast app now, but just, yeah, write reviews in there, helps out a lot. All right, well, we'll talk soon.
0: Birdland Sports, for fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com.